Good morning. I wished, of course, I wasn't saved when those, the age of those kids were here. Okay. I got saved April 10th, 1977. And uh, I went through elementary school and high school. I sang in select choirs and stuff like that because I had a baritone voice early. I think it kind of goes with the size. And they'd have me sing. And I could know the rhythm of the notes, but I couldn't, didn't read scales. Okay, and now those kids are learning. I encourage you to have your kids in Sunday school. That's available to all of them. Uh, Andrew, we give a little bit of time. He gets about 15 minutes each morning to help working with the, the children so they can learn music. It's something neat, along with their Sunday school lesson and learning about God, because music is one of the ways God has chosen to worship him. Amen? We have... Two new visitors this morning. We have Seth and Stephanie. Would you raise your hand over there? You want to make sure that you make them feel welcome. We're just glad they're here this morning. We pray the service be a blessing to your heart. And you just encourage them. And again, um, you already put your visitor's card in the offering plate, right? Yes. Okay. I have a... Because Pastor Kenny's not here and he can't tell me no. You know how that works, don't you? Kids, might as well play. Well, the first one, you, how many of you remember uh, the good old days? You know, people complained when George Bush was president. He wasn't strong enough. Well, don't you wish you had him back? Amen. Okay. There was this time George Bush was traveling through an airport, and just recently he was with, you know, he still, they still, even though he's, He's an ex-president, you know, he's a retired president. They still have secret service agents that travel everywhere with them. And he saw a man who looked just like Moses. He had longer white hair. He had a shepherd's staff. He was wearing a cloak and holding on to two stone tablets. President Bush goes up to him and says, pardon me, but are you Moses? The man doesn't even acknowledge him. He doesn't even look at him or say anything. So again, uh, President Bush says, excuse me. You look just like Moses. Are you? And the man still does not respond in any way. By now, George Bush is starting to get a little irritated. He's not getting any answers. About this time, a Secret Service agent approaches and asks President Bush, is there a problem? And George Bush tells him, I've asked this guy if he was Moses two times, and he hasn't even responded to me. The Secret Service agent looks at Moses and says, Sir, so are you Moses? Why won't you talk to us? Moses finally looks at the Secret Service guy and says, the last time I talked to a bush, I spent 40 years in the wilderness. <laughs> if you don't know your Bible, that makes no sense. Okay. Secondly, again, we just went through, today is the 23rd. I can remember last week, Judy's going, honey, we've got to get the envelopes in the mailbox so we don't get anything in late. What? Taxes, right? So there was this young man, uh, a very young man, and one time in his youth, he professed the desire to be a great writer. When asked to define great, he said, I want to write stuff that the whole world will read, stuff that people will react to on a truly emotional level, stuff that will make them scream, cry, howl in pain and anger. He now works for the IRS writing tax laws. So here we go. So you like the first one, second one, so-so. Okay. You gave it a nine? Oh, he's being just... So visitors, uh, one of our good men, the missionary for gospel, he holds up, he numbers my jokes. I get to tell him on Wednesday nights. I'll have you open your Bibles to Matthew 17. <laughs> you're telling me you only gave me a six. Is that what you're trying to say, Alan? <laughs> okay. Matthew 17. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was as white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias, talking with him. Then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. 
If thou will, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee and one for Moses and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces, and they were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. Title of this morning's message, I preached this 13 years ago. 13 years ago, it's the next voice you hear. The next voice you hear. I'll make my prayer, we'll go into the message. Heavenly Father, now, Lord, I just ask that you help all of us to come apart from the cares of the world. Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we pray today could be the day of salvation for them. Lord, I ask now you give me a fresh unction from on high. Father, that you take control of my mind, my mouth, the actions of my hands and feet. We pray that your Holy Spirit can have his will, his way in every heart. And Father, we just ask now that you bless this service as we come apart from the cares of this world. And we'll thank you for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. In our text we just read, you have God the Father from a cloud on a mountain saying in verse 5, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. Can you imagine the scene that they got to see on the mountain? So many times to help you with your Bible understanding, I encourage people to take yourself and put yourself in the place of those that are in that event, in the place of those that God is speaking to. Can you imagine it? Jesus is transfigured before him. They've only seen him as the carpenter. They've only seen him even at this point, as the Messiah, but truly in his human form. When it says he was transfigured before him, we're going to see a little later in our message what he may have looked like at that point. Because he's not the gentle shepherd. He's the great I am. And they got to see him transfigured before him. And they saw Moses and Elijah appearing from nowhere. They had been engulfed in a cloud on that mountaintop, and all of a sudden now they're surrounded by bright light. I don't know about you, but that would be very unsettling for me. Some of you would say, oh, are you kidding me? I would just want to worship them. Oh, nuts. The truth is, you'd be scared out of your wits, right? Can you imagine how this had them? Now, they understood it was going to be, they realize now. Okay, two of the greatest prophets they had, Moses, the giver of the Pentateuch, the one who led them out of Egypt, Elijah, the one who had not died, but was taken up in a chariot into heaven. And then they hear the voice of God. The next voice they heard was God, the Father. <laughs> no wonder they fell on their faces, <laughs> wouldn't you? They were sore afraid, sore afraid. This morning, it's going to be a little different message. It's different because Pastor Kenny and I have different styles. That's all there is to it. It doesn't mean, well, it does mean he's better than me, but that's okay. Don't, don't tell him I said that, all right? We have different styles of preaching, but this morning I want you to see, we're going to be looking at the next voice you hear, the next voice you hear. So I want you to turn now to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We're going to start at verse 1. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said. It's always about what God said. And if the devil, the tempter, the God of this world... The father of lies is going to confuse you. He's going to try to confuse you on what God said. Yea, hath God said, ye shall not eat of every tree in the garden. 
And the woman said unto the serpent, Ye may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. See, he's questioning. For God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also one to her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were op- eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together, and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. You know what that is? That's the voice of God dealing with you while you're in the fear of sin. Fear of sin. See, the temptation comes. And I want you to know, temptation never comes from God. Okay? It never comes from God. You know, the serpent comes. He gets him to question God's word. This beautiful woman falls into sin. The man looks at the beautiful woman and says, I choose her over God and falls into sin. Because the commandment is, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy strength, and all thy mind. I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt have no other gods before me. So, in a godly home, God comes before the husband. God comes before the wife. They come up next, ahead of everybody else. Okay? But God first. You know, in James chapter 1, in verse 13, it says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. He may try you, he may test you, he may put something before you to help you learn more of him and to learn about yourself, but he won't tempt you to sin. So who's the tempter? Satan. Okay, if I was to take you to Matthew chapter 4 and verse 3, it tells us the tempter came. That's the devil. How does he work? He works through our flesh. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired of one to make one wise, and he took, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. If you keep your eyes on God, you won't go into sin. Okay? It's when you put yourself, when you become your own God. You put your desires, your will, over his way. That's as simple as it is. He tempts us through the flesh. In 1 John 2, verse 16, it tells us all is in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Okay, that's in the world. That's where all temptation comes from. It comes from those three areas. Eve was tempted the same way. Don't, for, don't lose sight of that. You're either tempted because you want something for your flesh. You want it. You've got to have it. You're going to eat it. You've got to own it. Whatever it might be, you've got to have it for you. You need it. Okay, I can't walk through a Walmart without seeing that zero bar on the counter in front of the register and it sits there and it calls to me, and some of you won't know what it is, but this Canadian love song. It's going, I am calling you. It could be the sirens, okay, on, you know, out of Jason and the Argonauts. You turn around and don't tell me you don't hear those voices when it's something you want. <laughs> it may not be a zero bar for you, okay? It could be something else for you, but you know what it is? You're tempted. Because you want it. You, oh my God. you know what do they do? They do that commercial. Got to have it. I don't get grumpy when I don't have it, do I, Judy? <laughs> you know, her arm's in a sling. She can't hit me yet. Okay. 
So you got the lust of the flesh. You have the lust of the eyes. Do you see how they advertise things to men? Guys, those women are all airbrushed. It's not real. The lust of the eyes. See, she looked at it and she said, well, that's a beautiful fruit. And no, I don't believe it was an apple. You want to ask me what it is? Ask me after the service. Okay? So it's the lust of the eyes. She saw that. And then it says that it was something to make one wise. You always think you're smarter than the other person. That's why you think you can get away with it. But you're not smarter than God. All sin comes into three categories. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. How many of you get angry and start reacting in sin because you don't believe someone treated you the way you believe you should be treated? That's pride. Okay? I want you to know, if I got what I deserved from God, there'd be poof, smoke and a pile of ashes. And I firmly believe I'm better than you. No, I'm only kidding. All right. Poof, I'm gone. Okay. See what happens. He tempts us. Now turn to James chapter 1. We're coming back to Genesis because the first voice of God we hear is when we're in our sin. One, James chapter 1, starting at verse 12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. See, when you're tempted and you don't give in to it, what does God say he gives you? crown of life because you love him. When you truly love somebody, you put that person ahead of you. You won't let someone else with lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, or the pride of life cause you to break your love for them. Understand that? Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. He already gave you that. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin, and sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. For the wages of sin is death. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. Well, you don't understand what I've gone through. I gave into that, but no one understands. It's common to man. Teens like to say, I said it to my parents, they like to say, you don't know what I have to go through every day. I wasn't born this old and ugly. Hey. I've had mothers get upset at me because I tell them I'm counseling with teenagers or something and I say, young teenage boys are nothing but a hormone on legs. So young girls don't trust them. Oh, you think of my son that way? Yeah. If you get him to talk about it, he'd admit it. Girls are worse. Have I offended you yet? I'm keeping you awake. I'll offend you before it's over. I don't know how this works. <laughs> no temptation taken you, but such as is common. It may seem really hard to you at the time you're going through it, and it is. But if you're saved, you don't go through it alone. And how the outcome is, is depending on who you're looking at as you're going through it. Amen? So we see sin takes place. What do they do? Genesis chapter 3 again. We read it. When she saw that a tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. See? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. She took the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also unto her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened and they knew that they were naked. 
and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. They'd sinned. The sin takes place, they knew it. And what do we have? And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And then we had to go down through for the rest of that. But you see, you know what happens? The next voice they heard. I hadn't been saved very long, and it's a Christian song. It's not a hymn, okay? And it was a you know, popular song at that time. It was better than some of the newer contemporary songs. It was, Adam, Adam, where are you? I want you to know something this morning. When God called to them, did God know where they were? Yes. He wanted them to know where they were and what they had done. The next voice they hear. God knows. The Apostle Paul, inspirational experience, you know, and I'll also find it in the Psalms. He quotes it in New Testament. If I make my bed in hell, thou art there. If I'm in heaven, thou art there. Okay. The Bible tells us everything is naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You can't run from him. God knows where you are. See, neither is there any creature is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So what do we do? What do you have? You hear God's voice, guilt comes, conviction comes, fear of the sin. How many of you could raise, I don't want you to raise your hand, but how many could, would raise your hand this morning if, you, if I asked you to, and you say, I never would have done that if I had known it was going to cost me that. See? You don't, don't understand what sin's going to cost you. And see, so we have, in verse 10, and Adam says, And I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid. Because I was naked, and I hid myself. You ever notice little kids when they're innocent? They're still little sinners, okay? But they're under grace at that point from the standpoint as if they, a child, a baby dies, a child dies, I can show you from scriptures that they're going to be in heaven. Okay? That's not the point. The point is you turn around and you, <laughs> you put a diaper on a little kid when he first learns to walk and he runs out of him. Yes, free at last. <laughs> catch me, catch me if you can, you know. Um, because they don't understand, they're naked. But when they start gaining a little bit greater knowledge, when they start learning that mommy and daddy want them clothed, and when they take their clothes off, they're going to be in trouble. When they start being conscious then of their, because they're not even conscious of their bodies. That doesn't happen to a, for a few more years. And they start becoming conscious of their body and they start understanding things a little bit. This happened all of a sudden. Adam's probably, because I'm just going to give you, because the first Adam was Adam and the, the last Adam is Jesus Christ. At this time, he's probably 33 years old. Been innocent his whole life. Didn't have that knowledge. He and Eve were naked all the time, and it didn't affect them. It wasn't that type of thing. They were in innocency. It's pure and clean. You know, the Bible says the marriage bed is undefiled. Fornicators God will judge. The sin takes place. They hear God's voice. It's the voice of God, the fear of sin. You know what I want you to tell you this morning? When you hear the voice of God... And that sometimes you hear it when you know you're doing wrong. 
so many times people try to ignore it, right? I can remember, <laughs> I could pick on Michael, I won't this morning. He's here. I'll pick on AJ. Okay. It's knowing they've done something wrong and then hiding from you. Our boys used to do that. AJ, AJ tried to teach his brother. He, wanted, he was a, thought he was a good older brother. He was trying to teach them how to get through this life. I could have killed him. You know what he told his little brother and his little sister? It's easier to ask forgiveness than it is to ask permission. But they'd hide. You turn around. Why are you hiding? I don't know. I know why you're hiding. I didn't mean to do it. <laughs> there it is, okay? Well, that's what he's doing. He's hiding because now he understands. I want you to know this morning, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, every thought you've had, every word you've spoken, every place have you been, every step that you've taken, every reaction that you've given, God knows. See, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says there is none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understandeth. There's none that seeketh after God. And the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. For all have sinned. So if you're here this morning, I don't care how you measure up against me, that may not be hard, but you don't measure up with God. And your sin will condemn you to a devil's hell. A place of burning and torments for all eternity that you do not need to go to because not only we will see by the end of this message is God's voice will bring you the guilt of sin God's voice will bring you the forgiveness of sin so if you're here and you never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior I invite you at the end of the service to come forward will not embarrass you we'll have someone take a Bible and show you from the Word of God how you can know that your sins are forgiven how that you can know that the creator God of this universe has forgiven you and he'll welcome you into heaven one day with him. That's God's plan. For he hath made him to be sin who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's also, believer, because this verse that I'm going to quote to you is not written to the lost people. It's written to believers. So I'm going to tell you right now, if you're saved, you're no longer a sinner in God's eyes. You are a saint. A saint is one declared righteous by God. You don't argue with his declare, declarations. But you still are a person who sins. There's only one person who never sinned. That's not the Apostle Paul. It's not the Apostle John. It's not any of the popes. It's not anybody sitting here or in any other church for all eternity. There's only one. And he paid the price for me. But they gave us a verse to help us. When we take our eyes off of him and put it on ourselves through lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And that's if we will confess our sins... He is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sins, not only that, but to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know why? So that you can feel good in the presence of God when he speaks to you again. See, they had hid. This morning, if you're lost, and you know it, you, if you sit there and you go, I'm not sure if I would have died, I'd go to heaven. You can't know. The Bible says these things are written that you might know that you have eternal life. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. You can know. A church that tells you you can't know is just trying to take your money. And when a believer lets sin come into their life, God says in his voice, give it to me. Acknowledge it. Confess it. I'll take it. It's forgiven.
So the first voice you hear is the voice of God trying to deal with you on your sin. Go to 1 Kings chapter 19. First Kings. I'll help you out. First Kings is right after Second Samuel. <laughs> First Kings nineteen. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. See, what, what has happened there, okay? Elijah just had a battle after three and a half years of drought. No water. Crops dead. The prophet of God has a battle with 450 prophets of Baal. Right? Babylonian worship. And he mocks them. And they've been in a route. People were dying of thirst. And what does Elijah do in confidence with God when he's doing what God tells him? He says, okay, dig a trench around my offering. Now pour barrels of water on it. Now pour more barrels of water on it. Not only that, pour more barrels of water on it and fills a trench all around that. And Elijah prays unto God and God says, the water's gone, the wood is gone, and the sacrifice is gone. Because God was with God's man. He turns to the people and he says, now kill those false prophets. And that brings us up to this chapter. Had a great victory for God. You know, sometimes you can have a great victory for God. Whenever you stand up for God against those who stand against him, that's a great victory. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also. See, now who's she appealing to? And ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Isn't that what the serpent said? Let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, saw that he was afraid of that woman. She was scary. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm going to tell you what came to my mind. It has nothing to do with the message. My wife said that's a bad sign. I sit in the office. I'm counseling with people, either premarital counseling I love to do, marriage counseling I love to do if it helps, if I can help them with the word of God. But I'll have men sit there and go, my wife won't let me be the leader. I'll let her be my mommy. God's the one who makes you the leader. Husbands love your wives as Christ so loved the church and gave himself for it. You're going to be accountable for what God says you're supposed to do. I don't care what the wife says. And I'm not trying to put the wife down. You're, you're going to be responsible for how you lead your home, Christian, as a servant leader. If your wife rebels against that, pray to God. He'll deal with it. She'll hear the first voice. She doesn't have to hear you arguing with her. You just lead the way you're supposed to. And when he saw that she, he arose and he, ran, he went for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey. He left them on so that they find the servant. They can kill the servant. He's still getting away. went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said, it's enough now, O Lord. Take away my life for I'm not better than my father's. That woman, she's scary. And as he lay and slept under a juniper tree, behold, then an angel touched him and said unto him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid himself down again. See, my wife knows better. 
She knows when I'm down, I'm discouraged. She turns around, honey, what would you like? Just thinks, there's been a lot of tension in her house with my daughter, you know, the cancer and everything. And Carla looks at me last night and she goes, that's my daughter-in-law. And she goes, hey, Dad, I made oatmeal raisin cookies just for you. Maybe you don't like them. Homemade ones? Uh. He wakes up and behold, there was a cake bacon on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. See, that's the angel. That wasn't, okay? That wasn't the voice of God. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And said unto him, now who's the word of God? Who do you think appeared to, was speaking to him? It's pre-incarnate Jesus Christ. What doest thou here, Elijah? Now, did he know? Just like, where art thou, Adam? He knew. What doest thou here? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. They've thrown down thine altars. They have slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. The voice of the Lord is telling him to do this. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped, himself up, wrapped his face in, in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because of the children of Israel forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with a sword, and I, even I only, am left. Isn't that amazing? And they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when thou comest, anoint Haziel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of abel Melholah, shalt thou anoint to be prophet in thy room. And it shall come to pass that him that escapeth the sword of Haziel shall Jehu slay. And him that escapeth from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha slay. Yet I have left me seven thousand in Israel, all the knees which have not bowed unto Baal, and every mouth which hath not kissed him. See, the first was the voice of God with sin. The second voice here is God dealing with you when he talks to you about serving him. It's the voice of God, and so many people have the fear of serving. Fear of serving. Man, the guy had just defeated 450 prophets of Baal. Jezebel threatens him, Elijah runs. You know what happens many times? You get a victory after a struggle. You get a victory and you know what you do? You start doubting after it. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Those intruding thoughts that you listen to all the time. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. And bringing into captivity a thought to the obedience of Christ. See, after a struggle, after a victory, doubt comes. Because you know what you do? You forget who was the source of the victory. Yeah, God got me through this and I did this, but man, I don't think I can do that. What does he say to him in verse 9? What doest thou here, Elijah? Was Elijah where God had called him to be? He's running from a woman. Man, he called fire down from heaven. 
He's running from a woman. I'm sorry, ladies. I don't care if you're a 10th degree black about. I'm not afraid of you. My wife will beat you up. No. <laughs> Look at verse 13. And there came a voice and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? He asked him the thing twice. And he says, I, even I, only, there's no one where I am. No one's gone through what I'm going through. I'm all by myself. You know who wants you to believe that? It's not the voice of God. It's the author of confusion. It's the father of lies. In your sin, you're not alone because God is there seeing it. And people think they can't be forgiven and they isolate themselves. And then they think more and the guilt just eats them up to the point that they get so thinking wrong in their heads they think they'd be better off dead than alive. People, I have led three teenagers to the Lord in the hospital when I got called by a family member because they had tried to commit suicide. And they found forgiveness. And they can realize that they're not alone. And that God says their life does have value. So Elijah's running from the service he gave him. I had a preacher one time. Yes, I counsel with pastors too. I counsel with missionaries. I asked God, I wanted to be a counselor. You know, I told you before, I thought I was going to go to school to become a Christian psychologist. And a man with more knowledge than me, my pastor, Pastor Christian, said, no, God's calling you into the ministry. And I counsel with missionaries. I counsel with pastors. I'm not smart, but God's word is, man. And sometimes, you know, when pastors, they minister to people, and it seems like that this doesn't change for them, and the people don't care, and they get all stuck up on it. And then they get resentful. You can't get resentful towards the people God's given you to minister. You can't. You need to be able to show them love and concern. You can give them the truth, but you cannot get bitter towards them, or it's poison. Because they want to see God through you, or they wouldn't be there. And I'm talking to that preacher that way, and he's going, they just don't care. And I looked at him and said, I know how you feel. My wife won't let me lead. You're called into the ministry. Whose battle is it? It's the Lord's, not yours. Just fight it the way he tells you to. You're called into some service. It's his battle. Just serve the one who loved you enough to save you. Amen? You still with me? So you got the voice of God in sin. You got the voice of God in service. Turn to Job 37. Job 37, verse 1. At this also my heart trembleth and is moved out of his place. Hear attentively the noise of his voice and the sound that goeth out of his mouth. He directeth it unto the whole heaven and his lightning unto the ends of the earth. After a voice roareth, he thundereth with the voice of his excellency. And he will not slay, stay them when his voice is heard. God thundereth marvelously with his voice. Great things doeth he which we cannot comprehend. Go to Psalm 29. Psalm 29. Give ear unto the Lord, O ye mighty. Give ear unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord, O ye mighty, give unto the Lord glory and strength. 
Give unto the Lord the glory due his, unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The voice of the Lord is upon the waters. The God of glory thundereth. The Lord is upon many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaketh the cedars. Yea, the Lord breaketh the cedars of Lebanon. He maketh them also to skip like a calf. Lebanon and Syrian like a young unicorn. The voice of the Lord divideth the flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shaketh the wilderness. The Lord shaketh the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord maketh the hinds to calf and discovereth the forest. And in his temple doth everyone speak of his glory. The Lord sitteth upon the flood. Yea, the Lord sitteth king forever. The Lord will give strength unto his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, and with twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. That's Jesus Christ if you study it out, people. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the thongs from off the altar, with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched my lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Because the Godhead is three in one, us. Then said I, Here am I, send me. Fear the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Tells us that in Proverbs. In another place it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the holy. More knowledge of him is understanding. If he's calling you to serve him, understand his might, his power. There's times in our life, Judy and I, God's take very good care of us. There's time when we've had nothing. We had each other, we had the Lord, we had enough. We've always said our house, it'll burn. There's times when my wife is looking at me and I can't get out of bed or I can't get off the floor. I was kidding with a, a PA from um, SOS the other day, Syracuse Orthopedic Specialist, because I was visiting with them about someone else. And... They looked at me and goes, oh, I remember you. And I said, you auto. I paid for all your buildings. 27 surgeries. They ought to know who I am. I expect frequent flyer miles. <laughs> say, why do I say that? I want you to understand something. I get a chance to witness to them. How have you gone through that many surgeries and you still have a good attitude? People, I fear God. When people tell me, and this is not about money, but they say, I can't tithe. I tell them, I'm afraid not to tithe. I want God to bless what he's given me. All right, fear of the Lord. Beginning of wisdom, knowledge of the holy is understanding. If all I have is his, he's better taking care of it than me. And he takes very good care of it. That's just to encourage you. Let him start taking care of it. God will not ask you to do anything that he will not give you the power to accomplish that what he asks of you. There's no need to fear of service. We won't stop there. Go to Revelation chapter 1. We're coming to a close. You didn't believe that, did you? Revelation chapter 1. The next voice you hear. Maybe it's the God, God's voice dealing with you in your sin. 
And if he is, you come to the altar and you give it to him. He'll take it as far from you as the east is from the west. He'll throw it behind his back and he'll throw it in the depths of the sea. That's why he can say he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Revelation chapter 1, verse 10. This is the Apostle John speaking by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. That's the first day of the week, okay? The Lord's day. And heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet, saying, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus and unto Smyrna, unto Pergamos and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like the Son of Man, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, and white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire. And his feet like undefined brass as they burned in a furnace. And his voice is the sound of many waters. That's who the disciples saw on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was as the sun that shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, see, just as they did on the Mount... When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead, and he laid his right hand upon me, and saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Isn't that amazing? That's the voice of God the Son. That's a great voice. That's the voice of many waters. I'm the loudest street preacher. I'm not the best, but the voice carries. That's nothing compared to that. Can you imagine? He hears the voice of the transfigured Christ, and he tells him in verse 17, Fear not. Fear not. You don't have to be afraid of God when you're his child and you want to get right with him. Because it says there's groanings from the Holy Spirit that cometh up unto the throne and Jesus is at the right hand of the Father because he ever liveth to make intercession for me. Fear not. Fear not. What was the, the message that the angel gave to the shepherds at Jesus' birth? And lo, an angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you born this day in the city, David is a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Fear not. The message to Mary, the physical mother, of the Lord Jesus Christ was fear not Mary. Fear not Mary. See, the voice of God that you hear when you're in sin is where are you? The voice of God that you hear when you're running from his service is why are you there? And the voice of God you hear in the right relationship with the one who loves you so much that he gave himself for you, not just physically on the cross, but an eternity in hell in six hours' time, is you don't need to be afraid any longer. You don't need to be afraid. Second Timothy 1.7 For God hath not given us the but of power and of love and of a sound mind. 
That's what the gospel can do for anyone when they're willing to come to him. Either for salvation or just to get it right is a child who's let sin break the fellowship with the Father. For we have not a high priest that cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly under the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy, not getting what we deserve for what we've done wrong. That we may obtain mercy and find grace, receiving good that we didn't earn, unmerited favor, find grace to help in time of need. Herein is our love made perfect that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casteth out fear, because fear hath torment. He that feareth is not made perfect in love. We love him because he first loved us. Please stand. This morning, if you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he's crying out to you, where are you? He wants you to know you're at a place where forgiveness can be found. You're at a place that he's had you. I don't believe there's ever any accidents. There's no mistakes with God and he already knows. If you're here and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Bible says... Now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. If you're not sure if you were to die that heaven would be your home, we invite you to come. You just let me know and I'll have someone take you to a room, a man with men and boys and a woman with ladies and girls, and show them from the Word of God how they can know that they can have eternal life. We had someone, a little girl, just get saved this past week. You can know that heaven will be your home. Believer, is God speaking to you? Is that something you've allowed into your life? You've allowed sin to come in there, and because of that, you're putting on a good show, but you're letting it keep you from that sweet, secure fellowship that the Heavenly Father wants you to have with Him moment by moment. He says, Where are you? And He already knows. You come, you give it to him, he takes it, and it's gone. He doesn't see you in your sin. He sees you as a son of God, a child of the king. And he wants you in right relationship with him. If he's calling you to service, he's saying, why are you here? What doest thou here? He'll always empower you to do whatever he asks of you to do. But you've got to look at him and not at your frailties, your fears, or your family. You've got to look at him. And the message that God has through Jesus Christ is, I am come that you might have life, and you might have it more abundantly. In my Father's house are many mansions, and I go to prepare a place for you, that where I am ye may be also. My peace I leave unto you. My peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. If God is speaking to you about your sin, get it right. If God is speaking to you about service, give it to him. He may just want to see if you're willing. He may not even call you to what you're afraid of. And then always remember that he calls to you, if you're saved, as his child. And he goes, don't be afraid of me. Come to me, because I can make it right. Some have come. If you need to come, the altar's still open. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to preach your word. Father, I pray, Lord, that the next voice that we hear
before we even get to our several homes is one that says, come up hither. We long for that day to see your face. But while we're here, Father, help us, Lord, to always unload the sin and the sorrow that it causes. Help us to be strong in your might, that we might serve you faithfully in obedience. And help us to know your great love for us that will never let us go. We're secure for all eternity because our Savior gave us eternal life. Work in our hearts to that end, and we'll give you all the praise, the honor, and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.